nearly an entire year has gone by now since I put out my research on the hidden wilderness. The hidden wilderness would be a reference to the greater realm beyond what they're showing us within the globe earth. And of course, within this paper was a section on the undying lands of Middle Earth. Now, I just put out a short video on that last week, but it actually comes from a much longer video that came out an entire year ago. I would ask where the time has gone, but most of you already know the years are short, whereas the days are long. And as you are also likely aware, I have many topical papers to tend to, most of which have been collecting dust. Some are even buried under the fodder stack. The Undying Lands of Middle-Earth was intended as a side note to the larger discussion at hand, that being the Hidden Wilderness. Location of the Kingdom of Heaven upon the Earth, as well as the Elves being a stand-in for the Millennial Kingdom Saints. Well, I've been snooping around in Tolkien lore as of late, retreading old trails, and have stumbled upon some new information which somehow evaded me on the last go-around. The Rings of Power is intended as a five-season series purposed with leading us up to the destruction of Numenor, whereby the world was transformed from a flat to a spherical one. And I covered that in my presentation, as well as the last video that I put out a week ago. Isildur is a featured character, and we know him to be a survivor of the impending Numenor destruction event because he participated in the last alliance of men and elves against Sauron thereby indicating the intended climax of the series. Recall how Aragorn was Isildur's heir in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Tolkien lore has it that Isildur and his brother founded and jointly ruled Gondor, while Elendil, their father, dwelt in Arnor in the north. It is Isildur who cut off Sauron's hand and retrieved the One Ring of Power, but was incapable of destroying it in Mount Doom. His refusal to do so allowed Sauron to live on. Isildur was later killed by orcs in the disaster of the Gladden Fields, and the ring was lost for nearly 2,500 years. The series also depicts a character named Farazhan. Viewers have been bemoaning the woke sentiments as well as the liberties it has taken with Tolkien lore, and Farazhan is no exception. Farazhan's character is altered considerably. Leave it to LOTR Fandom, a, a wiki-like uh, fan site, to point that fact out. Instead of a war leader and frequent seafarer involved with Middle-earth, the Rings of Power has him becoming the Chancellor to the Queen Regent. Her name is Tar Muriel, and of a different personal appearance than Tolkien describes, no less. Speaking of which, uh, the Queen Regent was white in Tolkien's source material, whereas cultural reappropriation, a common side effect of the woke disease, has made her the queen of a different shade of color. I'm guessing this decision plays in with the white patriarchy, aka Ferrazon. Because what happens is that Ferrazon usurps her throne, becoming our Ferrazon. He furthermore marries Tar Muriel against her will, renaming her by the name Ar Zimrafel. Now, Supposing Rings of Power doesn't veer too far from the source material, and it kind of already has, then this is how we can expect the story to play out. By the end of Season 1, we've already seen Sauron distributing the Rings of Power, of which, of course, he has the One Ring to rule them all, and he's deceiving the elves and men and dwarves and so on. Well, at some point, our Ferrazon sails from Numenor to Middle-earth to challenge Sauron, on the basis that Sauron claims to be 
the king of men and overlord of the realm. The short of it is that Sauron's armies flee and Sauron actually surrenders. He's brought back to Numenor as a prisoner, though, surprise, surprise, he quickly seduces the king, promising him and the other citizens of Numenor eternal life if he should worship his master, Melkor. And just so you know, Sauron is not the big baddie of Tolkien lore, even though he's the feature of the seconds and primarily the third age. Even Sauron is a servant of Melkor. Well, anyways, our Pharazon, who's now deceived, then sets out building a temple dedicated to Melkor, where human sacrifice is offered. It is during this dark turn of events that the white tree, Nimloth, is cut down and burned as yet another sacrifice to Melkor. The tree stood before the king's house in the capital city, its fate being tied to the line of kings. They actually showed this tree in the Rings of Power. Isildur is successful in rescuing a single fruit from the tree, which in turn becomes an ancestor of the white tree of Gondor, which we see in Return of the King. But then Sauron's deception doesn't end there. Farazhan's worship of Melkor is a package deal which includes the promise of immortality. In order to achieve that, however, Farazhan is tasked with building a great armada and sailing to the Undying Lands, so as to make war upon the Valor thereby seizing his own divinity. The Valor are the divine ones of Tolkien lore. How convenient that Sauron remains behind. He knows what Farazhan is getting himself into. Well, once landing upon the shores of Amman, Manwe, chief and king of the Valor, calls upon Eru, his, his full name is Eru Iluvator, the one true and most high Elohim of Tolkien's lore. My aim is to comment more upon the Valar as well as the very fascinating Manwe character, though not today. I'll save that for another presentation. In response to Manwe's prayer, Eru transforms the world from a flat to a spherical earth. The remodeling project results in Numenor sinking beneath the ocean. Farazhan's fleet is destroyed, and even Sauron is a resulting casualty of the cataclysm he had helped to bring about. His body is destroyed assuring that he can never again assume a fair form. Though he is capable of returning to Mordor and ruling there as a benevolent spirit. The aftermath has Elendil, along with his two sons, one of which is Isildur, founding the two kingdoms in exile, Arnor in the north and Gondor in the south. And of course, Gondor was a heavy focus in Return of the King, though it also made appearances in the Two Towers. Well, both of these kingdoms hope to maintain Numenorean culture. And there it is. The transforming of the world from a flat to a spherical earth served two purposes. The resulting oceanic upheaval was a judgment upon the rebellion of Numenor. Though Numenor is an obvious stand-in for Atlantis, we can easily substitute Tartarian society and the mud flood. But then, first and foremost, the globe earth was intended to hide the undying lands from the world of mortal men. Should men be given the roadside directions, we know what comes next. It's the Tower of Babel story. They will attempt to murder the king and claim immortality as their own. We have already seen the episode play out in Psalm 48, when a confederacy of kings led by a fleet of ships from Tarshish attempt to invade and attack the king of Zion in the uttermost north. And of course, as I pointed out at that time, the psalm was written by the sons of the ice wall. The uttermost north, the undying lands, the true Mount Zion, the location of the king, Melchizedek, 
are all beyond the ice wall. Everyone keeps asking me for the GPS coordinates. I can give them to you, but you'll have to do the homework as well as the follow-up in scripture. And here it is. There is only one pathway to the Undying Lands, and it is a life well-lived under the service of our Creator.